Hello, spreaders, and welcome to The Spread. I'm your host, Kaz, and this is season four. I do hope everybody is doing well and staying home. These are some really hard and trying times for many of us. And one of the goals for this year was to produce like more regular content because I personally thrive in that space when I'm working. But the year broke. Yep, and that's how it feels, broken. And it hasn't been easy for many people, myself included. My mental health has been fluctuating and finding my balance has been like walking on a tightrope. But every day I do try. And when I can't, I sleep. And I try really hard not to feel too bad about that. So this week, I decided to create a new normal. This is how I see it. I'm a creator. I can create my own rules and regulations. And in this instance, schedule. I have more time to create. Now I just need to reimagine my new life. I've been given an opportunity here. So basically, this is where I am. Finding new footsteps. And I hope that you too can find and create your own path. So much so that when we are finally let out of jail, we haven't forgotten how to function. You know, I've been deep in thought about human behavior and how people are going to behave once they're allowed to go out again. Like, it's a whole vibe. Let's get into our podcast. Tapiwa is a magnificent Zimbabwean man that I've had the pleasure of getting to know over the past few months. And his life continues to intrigue me. His openness around everything he does and his willingness to share it all. I just want the world to know and love this man the same way I have grown to. Enjoy! So everybody, I want to introduce you to a very fine young gentleman by the... Oh, not young anymore. (laughs) (laughs) i'm just gonna remove the word young and say a very fine gentleman by the name of tapiwa uh tapiwa could you tell us a little bit about who you are and what makes you so fine and not so young (laughs) well i am a biologist by training but i've since abandoned that for a different adventure so at the moment i'm working with ice cream teaching people about african cuisine and i like things i like nice things so i like tasty food i like moving my body around and i enjoy sex and all things sensuality related yeah i think that's a good summary of where i am which is exactly the reason i think i think so i feel like if that would be the perfect elevator pitch um i think (laughs) I think that that's the reason why you're here in the first place is because I'm actually very fascinated by you and who you are and all of the things that you embody and all of the different facets of your life, you know, that make you so interesting or so interesting to me. And I imagine to a lot of the people who'd be listening to this podcast. So um, I suppose this is a nice introductory way of people to get to know you and the different aspects of your life just like from a very I think I feel like this is just the beginning of something that might be grow into a lot of different conversations which I think people would be like very eager to tap into 
So I be think keen to participate. Just yeah. great. This, because it is great to have that kind of consent. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It would be a very boring podcast if I was interviewing you and there was nobody on the other end. So. <laughs> Just a monologue runs. <laughs> exactly. So, Tapi, where are you from? I'm from Zimbabwe. I grew up in Harare, so I'm uh, a Shona speaker. Not, not to say all oh, people in Harare are Shona speakers, but I'm a Shona speaker. But my people are from a village called Chiweshe, or sort of a communal district called Chiweshe in rural Zimbabwe. That's where we hail from, by way of Kenya and Uganda. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Our, our, sort of our totem poem describes our journey from Guru Uswa, and Guru Uswa means like the tall grass, so it's describing like the savanna plains, and Tanganyika. So Tanganyika and Chishona, I don't know what it means in Swahili, but in Chishona it means huh. the first land. So that's where we come from. So by the way of TZ, Uganda, Rwanda, Kenya. Okay. The Bantu movement. Basically, yeah. And what was the thing that <clears throat> I suppose led you into being a... Did you uh, describe yourself as a biologist? Yes, yeah. What was the series of events that led you to becoming a scientist and then from there sort of led you into food first? So growing up, I was always curious, I suppose everybody says that, but I was always curious about the world around me and how things kind of work. So I was always tinkering and always uh, trying to learn a bit more about my immediate environment. And my family used to give me like chemistry kits, like home-based chemistry kits, like making sherbet and... I remember going on a family trip to northern Zimbabwe and we did like a biological dissection of like tetra flies that cause uh, sleeping sickness. And from that point, I was I could already tell this is what my life is about. I'm going to be some kind of scientist and document how nature works, you know. And I'm really curious. What is the thing with tetra flies that makes people sleep? I actually can't remember. I think they've got a pathogen within them. I think they're a vector for a pathogen for a bacteria that causes sleeping sickness. Mm. But I, I, last, I last engaged with this topic like in high school biology a long time ago. <laughs> so I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry, go on. So in any case, yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, then was going to become a marine biologist at some point, then a forensics analyst at some other point and so on and so on and so on but when i got to the varsity stage when i applied for university i applied to molecular biology at uct and i think i got my dad to give me money to apply for vits as well and for roads and i smashed the money for roads and you and for vits (laughs) and so uct was my only sort of option (laughs) And luckily I got in and then <laughs> I got into the undergrad program, did molecular biology, and then from that did honors. And then after honors, you kind of realize you can't really work as a researcher without a higher qualification in science, typically. And then you get sort of stuck in the trap of doing masters. And after masters, I actually didn't graduate my masters at all. We upgraded my masters to a PhD. Which, oh. if you're listening and you don't know, sometimes if your degree is going out, going well enough, you can convert the master's program into a PhD program. So you take maybe an extra year after that, and then you leave that uh, degree as a PhD holder instead of a master's holder. Oh, 
which for me ended up being like yeah it ended up being like three additional years so in reality I, I took the same amount of time to do a master's and phd but i came out with just the phd which is all right because you still have your phd <laughs> exactly it's not like people are going to be like so where's your master's then oh my gosh this, this is so interesting i'm i just want to go back a little bit because i, I want to let people know how i met you which i haven't i'm sure i think i've you and i have been speaking for about a month maybe a little a little if more like maybe a little bit more uh but i learned about oh, yeah, bottle, yeah i learned about you through hola africa and um the wonderful people that run hola africa and actually even before i knew it was you or before we had spoken or interacted in any way i'd been following your instagram page and i am really um keen i've been really keen on shibari as a form of um kink to add into like my mm. my playtime and i've been following your page mm. because i'm just like oh my gosh it's so nice to like interact with people from the continent who are into bdsm and kink because the way that i learned it i've learned it from a different country and from pe- and from people who are not like from a different continent from people who are not here so it's just like really wonderful because mm. i've decided that i want to um explore all of these like different kinky aspects and um sexualities um from a very african context and and i so i found your page and i'm just like i want and this is exactly what i want i want to be able to interact <laughs> with more people from the continent who are doing wonderful kinky things so if you could you tell us a little bit about that and about your rope bondage and and how uh biologist sure. or a mm. scientist came from having a phd at uct to tying people up and suspending them from the ceiling. <laughs> it was part of the curriculum. <laughs> Second year you had See, to. See, <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. I knew I was doing something wrong. <laughs> so the the very beginning of it was I think I was still like a teenager and I've always been interested in creating things with my hands as much as I like to understand how things work I also like creating things from nothing so ever since I was a kid I was a bit of a tinkerer and part of the tinkering was I used to do my own crafts like making like little chains and bracelets and origami and drawing so I've always been artistic and there was some point I don't know exactly when but part of the bracelet and charm kind of work transition from a very open and public thing to something quite private because it became something a bit more sensual and less practical and you know how we often link our sexuality on the continent with shame and guilt and privacy and uh, sec- uh, secretive uh, secretiveness is that a word yeah that word sure yeah let's make it a word <laughs> <laughs> and secrecy yeah yes, there we there go. Go. <clears throat> but i like secretiveness so... we're, we're making things with our mouths <laughs> so, so I, I transitioned from me recognizing this is one of the fun things i do to oh this is something private and dirty and naughty i should keep this to myself mm. and when i was in varsity i would say maybe the first Five years of my varsity career, I was in a monogamous relationship with someone who was particularly religious, so we were not having sex, so I wasn't really exploring my sexuality at all. And well, we're not having penetrative sex, we would have 
oral sex from time to time, but that that would feed back in with a lot of guilt after the after the fact. And at that point, I was still under the delusion that I was religious, whereas actually I was just playing a part to go along with what society deemed a normal life. Of course. Then eventually I broke up or we, we I separated with this person. And after that, then I started revisiting my sexuality and really engaging with the kinds of things that I liked. And part of that is that I noticed that I enjoyed tying people up, but more so I enjoyed tying myself up as well. So it started off as myself in my own privacy, tying up my own body, exploring how the sensations felt, how it made me feel. And then gradually started challenging other people to engage with this thing and finding that actually a lot more people are keen to explore this thing which obviously spurred me on and I kept going for it. And then with time, I discovered through a friend of mine from varsity. So someone was in my department. I discovered that there's a whole community of people out there in Cape Town and also in the world in general who are exploring quote unquote kink and BDSM and sort of alternative ways of experiencing sex and sensuality and sexuality. And I was like, Oh, amazing. I'm glad to learn that I'm not, uh, quotes a freak, yeah, you know, yeah, that there are other people who are doing these things just in the most beautiful way possible with a lot of uh intention and respect and trust and safety and so much nurturing and caring for others, you know, a very wholesome thing compared to the internalized conversation you have in yourself with yourself about how terrible this is, how. Uh, violent this looks and how violent it is. You know, all those like really messed up notions, misconceptions about a thing. Yeah. And I've said this so before started, about like yeah. the, the BDSM and the kink world is, is because there's so much conversation around it between the people who are participating. There's so much more openness mm. and caring than in quote unquote normal sex where uh, there's a lot of mm. shame associated with it. So then there's a lot of other like pent up things that get brought up and guilt and all of that stuff that people have to deal with in quote unquote real life. <laughs> yes. So I find that just <laughs> interacting with people in the BDSM kink world is, is a lot more just comfortable. Mm, for sure. 100%. I remember you mentioning one of your previous episodes about not in, being interested in seeking out people who are not in that world or were not open to the idea of exploring that world yes. because it's such an intrinsic part of your experience now. Yes, it, it is. And it's it's more so even about dating more than anything. I just, mm. I wouldn't be, mm. I wouldn't, I don't think I could date anybody who's not already a part of like the BDSM world. Um, and mm. I think... Even with people who are interested, I feel like there's got to be some level of, of experience behind the interest because mm. I'm I'm not here to be a teacher either. <laughs> well, luckily for me, I am a teacher. So <laughs> for, for me, what, what, it's interesting that I get your perspective and it makes sense. But from my end, I've never really considered it a separate thing to my identity. I don't know if you feel the same way or not, but certainly I don't consider myself a kinkster or someone who practices BDSM. I know I just enjoy everything. So I don't really, I'm not a person who makes stances to say, this is for me, this is not for me. Uh, I don't date a certain kind of person. I don't eat a certain kind of food. I don't do a certain kind of activity. You know, 
I'm open to everything. So for me, it's an intrinsic part of my sexual identity. And I don't, sometimes I have vanilla sex and sometimes I have kink sex. Sometimes, you know, it's just like, oh, what do I feel like doing right now? So mm-hmm. a consequence of that is when I'm exploring a new partner or exploring things with a new mm-hmm. partner, I'm very clear from the get go like, listen, these are all the things that I like at the moment. And this is what I'm going to explore. This is what I'm keen on. And because I'm so open from the get go, most people then bring their things to the table as well. So in my experience, everybody's kinky. If you want, if you want to mm. use that word, everybody's into BDSM in some capacity, everybody's into kinky in some capacity. It just mm. so happens we're all on different levels in different moments, in different parts of our lives, you know? So the really, really nice thing is because I am a bondage teacher, a lot of people seek me out and they're open to learning new things yeah which is nice yeah so even people who are not in the in the world are very open because they've seen how open i am yeah it's nice Mm, i can get that i I can understand that from your perspective Mm. um i I think i Mm. see things a little bit differently because um it's it must be really wonderful to be in a place where you're just like i'm open to anything (laughs) <laughs> good for you <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, 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 yeah it's, it's, it's really awesome <laughs> if, if there's one thing I'm grateful for is that my, my, my temperament is an open one the only thing I'm, I'm not so open to is uh, mind altering substances the only one I really enjoy is sex um, and food I suppose is a mind altering substance what do you but mean, like no drugs? Like, uh, I, I, yeah, I've not reacted well to drugs, so yeah, okay. I stay away. But everything else, I'm open it. So drugs, meaning like coffee, I don't respond really to coffee. It doesn't do anything to me. Mm-hmm. Alcohol, I don't like who I am. Mm-hmm. And I don't like how it makes other people as well. Cigarettes, obviously not a good vibe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then sort of like, even like narcotics, like pharmaceutical grade narcotics, not a fan of taking medicine. And quote unquote hard drugs. I've had weed before. Not a good time. Yeah. So yeah. As long Did as you just it call weed a hard drug. Mind state, I'm keen for it. There's people out here who are mad. Listen, <laughs> 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 listen for me, alcohol is a hard drug as well. Like uh, that's yeah, alcohol, and I have no, alcohol, I have no moral definitely. stance against drugs. Mm. I have no moral stance against drugs. They're just not for me. Yeah. So for me, they're all mind-altering things. So the severity of them is different. But to me, they're all pretty intense because even like sugar will mess me up, you know? Yeah. So the people, you live in Cape Town, right? Yeah. And the wine, the wine is not like alluring. You don't like every so often want to have like a glass of wine with your meal. I'm just curious. (laughs) Not at all. (laughs) So (laughs) I have a very sweet tooth. I have a very sweet tooth. And so unless it's like a port or like a liqueur or like a cocktail um, or like, oh, mead, mead is nice, but that's very sweet Mm. liquor as well. So I won't try, even like a sweet rosé for me is not sweet enough. So Mm. wine has zero appeal for me. Okay, I see. And the thing the thing with alcohol is i'm i'm not the one to appreciate it i don't have that kind of palate it's uh it's literally me pissing money away there's no point 
understand and i also have ethical issues around alcohol so that's a that's a different conversation that's, yeah. a, that's another podcast <laughs> mm. yeah <laughs> Um, there is a question I wanted to ask you on your Instagram page. You have described yourself as a generalist. What does that mean? Ah, yeah. Okay. So if, if you are listening in and you want, I wonder what this Instagram page is all about. I'm sure it's in the show notes, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, that's fantastic. So in any case, uh, I am a generalist in the sense that I don't believe that I primarily, but also other people, hush, hush, hush. I don't believe <laughs> I was put on this planet to do one, <laughs> to do one thing. I think we're all put here to live as full a life as we can. And what that means for me is I can't put all my efforts into one specific pursuit. For some people, that's a very fulfilling life. That's a very rewarding life. For me, it would not be a good use of my potential because I like different things in my life. I like diversity in my life. So the kinds of sex that I have, the kind of cuisines that I enjoy exploring and cooking, the kind of um, movement practices that I follow, the kind of uh, research that I do, it's not limited to one thing, which is why I stopped be being an academic because I was finding that that academic world was narrowing my view too much. My perspective became very focused. I was a plant biotechnologist for about four years after my PhD. Mm. And I found my view very, very niche. And I was now working on only a certain group of plants for a very specific purpose. And it wasn't as rewarding anymore. So I decided, yeah, nah, I need to keep all my options open and make sure I can wake up and... Ah, you, you know what, what, what? The best way to describe this, mm -hmm. think of a Renaissance person, like they were like a, a, some kind of alchemist, maybe a doctor, maybe an artist, maybe an inventor, mm -hmm. maybe a baker, whatever, you know, a bit of everything, mm -hmm. because why not? Mm -hmm. That's that's those are the people I kind of identify with. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. And so from uh, being a scientist into mm. um coming into the world of food what was that transition like for you 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 pretty much dropped everything and like you know i guess you were like em you were employed for a couple of years or in uni for a mm. bunch of other years because i imagine that science mm. does that to you and then you dropped everything and yeah. decided to start a business where you now have your own ice cream shop yeah, so I grew up in my grandmother's house on my mother's side, and she was big into, well, she was not a fan of division of labor in the sense that certain tasks are reserved for certain genders or certain ages. So we all grew up doing the same things in the house and outside of the house. So we all woke up went to the maize field or to the field in general, did some work before you went to school, you cooked your own breakfast, you know, did household chores, regardless if you're a girl or boy or whatever the case was. So I grew up in a house where I had to cook a lot, among other things. And I really enjoyed baking with my grandmother. So that was how we connected. And I don't know if that's why I developed a sweet tooth or I was drawn to it because I had a sweet tooth to begin with. Mm -hmm. In any case, mm -hmm. Fast forward, moved uh, to Cape Town for varsity, and 
when my postgraduates kicked in, I was on scholarship, which meant I suddenly had a bit more money, so I could afford to buy fancier ingredients, which meant I could start exploring with food in a way I couldn't as an undergrad. For one, in undergrad, I didn't have enough time, but also the budget was tight. So then I started cooking based on like recipes from the internet and obviously watching a lot of cooking shows. I became proficient at following recipes because following recipes is a bit like being a scientist. Step one, do this. Step two, do that. Mm -hmm. Step three, do that, mm -hmm. you know? And as, as you cook more and more, you start recognizing patterns in cooking. Then you can come up with your own recipes based on pre-existing information. Mm -hmm. And that's a very scientific thing to do. You've seen this protocol 20 different times in 20 different contexts. Now you can come up with your own protocol for a specific problem. How do I fix the problem of making this dish? Okay, based on past knowledge, I think I can make that. You know? And eventually, I started making an ice cream for myself and for friends because I had access to dry ice in the lab and you can use dry ice to freeze ice cream. So th for those of you who don't know, dry mm -hmm. ice is solid carbon dioxide. So it's really, really, really cold, like something like minus 78 degrees or something Celsius. And when you add that to a liquid, as it evaporates or sublimates, the liquid freezes immediately into a solid. Hmm. And so I was like, oh, yeah, ice cream. That's pretty straightforward. Then I moved to Stellenbosch, where I had even more access to greater amounts of dry ice because I was in a bigger lab. So I found myself making ice cream every third, fourth day. Every week I'll be making ice cream. And Stellenbosch is really hot, so it worked out perfectly. Mm -hmm. Until 2018, my grandmother passed away. So I went... Before she had passed away, I'd gone to Indonesia for holiday and obviously experienced a very different cuisine. I was feeling very inspired about food. Came back a month later, my grandmother passed away. I went home, stayed for the funeral, obviously. And then after the funeral, I took a week off, stayed at home and reflected. Went to my village, like interfaced a lot of the local food. And food was now really, really on my forefront. And at the same time, I realized the work I was doing wasn't really in line with my belief systems, how I'd been raised, because the work, the work I was focused on was about creating genetically modified plants from other parts of the world mm. to grow better in an African context. Mm -hmm. And I was like, hang on, why can't we focus on the plants that we have here mm -hmm. and utilize them better? You know, so then I started researching into it and you realize one of the biggest legacies of colonization is our food systems don't reflect where we live. If you think about going to a supermarket, certainly in a Zimbabwean and uh, South African context, it's changing now, but it's a real struggle to buy produce that's endemic to the continent on the continent. Yeah. The only way to do that, you have to go to informal markets of and, yeah. or you go into the wild and you pick it yourself. Mm -hmm. Certainly, like, most of our agricultural land is on maize, soybean, maybe peas, tea, bananas, mm -hmm. apples, flowers, you know, that kind of stuff. Stuff that we generally are making for export as well, you know? And I was like, I feel like I need to do something about it, but I wasn't sure what exactly. And at the same time, I'm like, okay, came back to Cape Town, and then I immediately make an Instagram page called Tapi Tapi. And I'm like, hey, listen, everybody, I spam all my friends. Listen, I'm selling ice cream now. If you want to order some hit me up, I'll hook you up. And everyone kept asking me, so what's so special about your ice cream? Why would I pay your ice for money for your ice cream? Because mm -hmm. my ice cream is quite a premium product. So it's like 
110 rand for half a liter. What's that in Whereas over dollars, here, like, for example? 110 rand, that's maybe like $8. Okay. Give or take. Yeah, give or take, somewhere there. So it's, it's quite a premium price, but it's very different to that when people are used to. Because I'm like, it's handmade. I made it myself. I know what went to it. There are no chemicals, preservatives, and I actually use real ingredients like cream and milk and eggs, you know? Mm-hmm. And people just weren't getting it. They're not like, oh, I need to fix this problem. So I came up with gimmicks. Okay, maybe I'll make alcoholic ice cream. Maybe I'll make cocktail-based ice cream, like mojitos, margaritas, mm-hmm. cuba libres. I'm going, you know, trying to appeal to an adult kind of market. But it's mm-hmm. still quite gimmicky. So people are buying. People are like, oh, this is delicious. But I'm not finding it rewarding at all. Mm-hmm. Okay, what do I do about this? Then one day I'm in a Zimbabwean restaurant in Cape Town. And on the shelves, I see a bunch of things from home. So they're like little snacks, like popped maize. They had like roasted peanuts, like some cereal from home called Cerevita mm-hmm. and Mazoe orange juice, which is like every Zimbo's sort of uh, nostalgia drink. If you're not at home, you're always going to have your little bottle of Mazoe. And I was like, why don't I put that into ice cream and see what happens? Took it home, mm-hmm. put it into ice cream. And for the first time, I had ice cream that meant something to me. I'd made like over 400 flavors of ice cream at this point. And I'm like, whoa, this immediately took me to like my grandmother's kitchen or it took me to my dad's village. It took me to very specific memories, right? It was such a powerful moment. And I was like, this is what I need to be doing with my life. Because that feeling, you can't manufacture that feeling if you don't know that feeling, I can't share that feeling with you if I haven't lived that feeling, you know? Of course, of course. And immediately I was like, I've got it figured out. Tapi Tapi is about using African foods in ice cream. podcast of the week is cut the foreplay cut the foreplay is a 20 to 30 minute sitcom format podcast its intentions are to rid conversations of the niceties and get to the real meat of it all hosted and produced by radio host nadia favorite this show is a delicate combination of witty whimsical and unapologetic crass peaking at the start of her career by winning show of the year for a three-hour radio segment called the hangover was very on brand Nadia Favri is a radio host, podcaster, producer whose passion lies heavily in voicing animations and pushing for female-driven art. Leaping from XFM's Kenya's only rock station to her voice finding a home at the musically versatile Capital FM, there is no organic way to avoid her content. You might as well give into it. Cut the Foreplay is available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and CastBox, and Google Podcasts. There is a direct link in the description box below. Now back to our podcast. There's actually more to this than just selling people nostalgic ice cream. Mm-hmm. I can actually use this as a tool to t- educate people about the value of the things we have on the continent. I can use this as a tool to teach people about indigenous food knowledge systems, indigenous, indigenous medicinal knowledge systems, 
and the value of this entity became even more apparent. So now I'm realizing I'm not in the business of selling ice cream. I'm actually in the space of education. So I'm still a scientist and I'm still an educator, but in a very different context using a very different tool because ice cream is so approachable. You can look at ice cream and be like, oh, that looks delicious without any of the prejudice you'd put onto something you've never tried before. I'm sure you're familiar with this. And I'm sure everyone listening is familiar with the idea of taking something from your home to school and people freaking the fuck out. Like, what is that? What are you eating? You know? And it's a very traumatic memory for a lot of people across the world, not just Africans. Everybody across the world knows this. If you're Korean and you're taking kimchi to an American school or tofu or mopani worms or crayfish, whatever, pick, take your pick, you know? Mm. Someone is going to think you're weird based on what you eat. But if I put a thing into ice cream, you can't judge it except for its flavor. And then maybe next time, oh, I love the taste of millet. I'll go buy my own millet. Oh, I love the taste of teff. I'll go buy my own teff. And now suddenly, you're educating people who don't know anything about this food system. But at the same time, you are helping other Africans realize the value of what they already have. Instead of us chasing other value systems. Western It's about looking systems. at what you already have. Mm. You know, things in your garden, things you grew up eating. Because we have this idea that our foods are peasant food or poverty food, whatever you want to call it. And once you make it, then suddenly you are all about quinoa and um, whatever apples from blah, 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 blah. You know, when there's so much of value here and what's actually more responsible to do from a cultural point of view, from an environmental point of view, is to be growing local things in the local environment they evolved in with the local food systems that co-evolved with those foods with our gut biomes that evolved with those foods, there's so much around what we eat. It's such a political thing, such an environmental thing, such an ethical thing. Absolutely. I was like, there's no way I can't take this on. You know? I love it. So this is where we're at. Oh my God, I love it so much. Decolonizing food. Decolonizing food systems. Mm. Decolonizing palates. For sure. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, we had a conversation about this the other day and I was telling you some of the things that my grandmother used to drink, the alcohol that she used to drink with the people mm. from her neighborhood. My grandmother was the only woman in her neighborhood who who would her and maybe like one other person, one of her best friends. And they were the only women in the neighborhood who would drink alcohol. So they would brew their own alcohol and just sit in a little shed behind the house all night, like all Friday night and just gossip about everybody mm. else in the neighborhood i guess but i really love <laughs> the way uh your, your grandmother has had such a big influence on your life um do you mind my asking where your parents were when you were growing up because you've mentioned your grandmother quite a bit and i'm wondering what role your parents mm. played in your life so the reason my grandparents and it's all three of them my grandfather not so much on my mom's side but they all featured heavily in my life because when I was a child, around the age of four, like a lot of other African families, my mom had to emigrate to England, you know, to for different reasons, um, for several reasons, but 
those are not particularly relevant but she left and so we grew up in my grandmother's house on her side for the most part but we jump back and forth on my dad's side as well and at the time my dad was trying to establish himself as a theater film and theater performer and he's doing a lot of tours across the country and across the continent so he wasn't around as much either so that's how i end up growing up with my grandparents and not so much my parents mm. so for, for for different reasons they both had to leave home and go pursue something okay and it was also, also quite interesting because they were my mom was 19 and my dad was 18 at the time that they had me so they were quite young parents as well mm-hmm. so it's a very complex uh but such a familiar story but a quite quite a complex story yeah yeah hmm. um Tabio, do you mind me asking how old you are not at all i'm 33 34 this year so i've got one more year until the church doesn't recognize me <laughs> huh. as a youth <laughs> 2020 the year of our lord and savior wow I have another question for you about your upbringing. And Mm. I know that you've said that it's possible that growing up with your grandmother had something to do with your sweet tooth, or um, even talking about a little bit about how in your grandmother's home, how there was no gender roles and everybody sort of just worked the same job and did the same thing regardless of your gender. And Mm. I'm wondering if that Mm. has anything to do, I really want to bring it back to discussing maybe issues about how you feel about yourself and your like maybe feminine versus masculine masculinity within Mm. yourself. And if that may have played a role in maybe how you relate to a more feminine part of you. Yeah. So ironically, I don't think it has anything to do with that because the... So it wasn't a complete sort of uh, balanced picture. You can see there were a lot of sort of still there. There was a lot of patriarchal leanings within the context, right? So she was not void mm-hmm. of patriarchal biases. Mm-hmm. So for argument's sake, if when we're eating supper, the oldest child is the first person to take a morsel of food because we ate communally, right? Mm-hmm. So. Before we can eat, the first kid is uh, the eldest kid, but specifically the eldest male kid is the first one to partake in a morsel of food and the first one to pick their cut of meat. And certainly around ideas of sexuality, there was two preferential treatment around boys and girls. But Overall, she, she had the place on lockdown, so there was no real room for you to be doing anything sexual in any case because everybody was on lockdown. But you could certainly see us being treated slightly different in a sexual way, like I could dress however I wanted versus the female uh, members of the family, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think the, the reason I'm so comfortable with my feminine energy as well is mostly due with the lack I've had in sexual partners in my adult life, like in my like late 20s into 30s. Because I'm trying to think... 
Tell us more about that. Maybe, yeah, there's maybe one one or two partners in recent memory. So maybe the, like the last eight years, I've had more queer partners than I haven't had queer partners. Let me put it that way. Right. What does that Which mean? Which obviously then means, so in terms of the women I've been with, mm-hmm. are women who would be inclined to have sex with me and women as well and gender non-conforming people. Mm-hmm transgender people and so on and so on and so on mm-hmm. and what that allowed space for was for me to explore what people consider feminine things and be comfortable because i knew i would i find if there ever is a person to be more accepting of you in a sexual context is more likely than not going to be a queer person mm-hmm. because they have some skin in the game in a way mm-hmm. right so not always the case but for for the most part, it's been those kind of partners where my confidence was never struck down based on how I was behaving, based on what I was asking for in a sexual context, based on what I was expressing and doing. And it got to a point where I became so comfortable in that skin and so comfortable in that sexuality and in this expression that regardless of the partner now, I can still be whoever I want to be. And they either like it or don't like it. Mm-hmm. But 100% of the time, they are okay with it. Mm-hmm. So I'm really grateful for those relationships that I've had. And some of them ended terribly. But they led to the person I am now. And they developed mm-hmm. this really sort of more balanced whole whole picture of a person than a sort of staunch masculine person who would not recognize or acknowledge any other aspect of their being but the masculine side. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So I don't think I really do with my family, really. Okay. Um, Just the unlearning along the way? Yeah. And a lot of the unlearning has been actively deciding to do things my family. To, to do the opposite of what my family has done as well. Because <laughs> I've seen physical yeah. proof of what can happen. Of course. And I was like, nah, that's not going to work out. Mm. Here's another food question. Could you possibly give us a few mm. tips on how we can enhance our sexuality using food? Ooh, mm-hmm. the two for one special food and sex. Yes. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm here all Definitely. week. Definitely. I'm actually i've actually got some ginger on my counter now so this reminds me of something a bit more extreme so we'll come back to the ginger but i'll start off with something something light so obviously everybody or most people enjoy the idea of someone cooking for them and what i try to encourage people to do is Pick something you know you're comfortable making that's going to be delicious, right? Because for one, it's going to impress the other person. Secondly, you're going to be really comfortable with it. You're not nervous about the cooking element of a date or an experience. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, don't only cook before they get there, but get them involved. So the foreplay begins with you maybe insisting they go shopping for certain ingredients Ooh. and maybe maybe suggesting they dress in a certain kind of way like make make an invent about even the grocery shopping so like you know like in three days time we're gonna have our little soiree 
and we're gonna need some grapes, we're gonna need some wine, we're gonna need some millet, whatever. Get them involved, like, cause it shows you're already thinking about it, you're already preparing for this thing that's happening in four days time, whatever, you know? And you're caring enough to involve them in the experience. So before you even thought about what you're gonna make, you're already thinking about, I want them to be part of this experience as well, you know? Mm-hmm. And then obviously there's a lot of uh, things like how you then decide to dress whilst you're cooking. You know, you could be in an apron and nothing or else. Or even how you uh, can send them baking, to the grocery store. I'm thinking like maybe yes, exactly. I could make you know? them wear my panty. Okay, well, maybe not if it's a first date. It's got to exactly. be already dating. <laughs> Got to wear my panties to the grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> yeah or like um don't wear any underwear or maybe mm. sneak um i don't know the, 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 this is obviously gonna be a bit more dangerous but like um sneak a photo of you doing something naughty with some produce that you want to take with you so don't leave the produce in the shops <laughs> buy the produce as well but then yeah. do something naughty oh, with it in the shop god you know? i was gonna be like wow what are you telling people to do sir <laughs> please what are you, you telling like, like, spreaders like, <laughs> you know like maybe like put a cucumber or banana within your cleavage you know mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. do something naughty I like and I like cleavage that. applies to chest as well whether it's a chest or a set of breasts Mm-hmm. Um, so that's obviously one thing that's bringing someone into the activity of cooking with you but then you can also use food in a properly sexual way as a sex toy depending on the food style obviously so things like uh, beetroot um, turnips um, I'm trying to think now so like your hard vegetables that don't have a particular sting to them can work quite well as like plugs so hmm. obviously like small like things like radishes can be little little but like if you if you leave the the tops like the leaves mm-hmm. they can make it like a little butt plug with a little tail on it so that can be quite playful mm-hmm. obviously you're gonna wash your produce first and you're gonna peel it to make sure there's no dirt better yet put it inside a condom so then you don't worry about introducing bacteria into the culture into that person's bacterial culture so you can obviously use things as toys. I'm sure everybody's familiar using bananas and cucumbers as dildos. So that's nothing new there. Um, for some people, it's not a good time. Some people, it's a good time. If you have been preparing like chilies with your hands, that can make for a nice sensation playing someone's mouth and someone's clit, someone's labia, someone's penis, someone's uh, perineum, someone's ass. But that's going to be quite an intense sensation. So always check in before you do that. That's quite a hardcore one. Yes. But there's also something called figging, where you like peel some ginger and use it as a butt plug. That can stir up quite a s- strong sensation in someone's ass as well. So that's a so that's sensation play. If you want to create like hot and cold kind of sensations, mm-hmm. you can use frozen food. You can use warmed up food. You can try splashing, where you put food into. Splashing is like they're getting messy with food, so squashing food, like playing with donuts and cream-filled things, like juicy mangoes, mm-hmm. biting into fruit and let it drip onto the other person, squashing strawberries over their skin, uh, massaging like oily food into their back. You know, like you can get really messy with it, but obviously protect mm-hmm. your surfaces. So put like like uh, waterproof kind of bed protector, all those kind of vibes in the space. But there's so much you can do with food beyond just huh? dipping strawberries in chocolate the more sort of predictable rules yeah wow why thank you i've mm. learned a lot 
And um, <laughs> which brings me to, could you, could we talk a little bit about anal play and how, how do we begin to have conversations with our partners if we want to introduce anal mm. play into the game? Yeah. Mm, and for sure, speaking for sure. as a, I so, mean, it's a very, it's a still a very taboo um, um, conversation around with, you know, cishet men. So how do we yes. begin to have those conversations with our people who are dating straight men? Yes, yeah, for sure. So I've thought a lot about this and I'm going to preface this by saying a huge aspect of how we operate in a sexual context is we assume someone is going to get fucked and someone is going to do the fucking. Or some people in the group are going to fuck and some people in the group are going to get fucked, right? So that's mm -hmm. how our, sort of our, our leanings towards sex typically are, unless you've done some work on yourself and you've engaged with it and you recognize that actually maybe sex is about sharing something with someone else or someone else's, you know? So once you realize that you can have sex that doesn't come from a place of power, sex that comes from a neutral space, then you can kind of try and engage with anal sex as well. Because if you're used to the one, you're used to being the one that's the fucking, the idea of anal sex and the idea of... Uh, so, so one aspect is most people think of anal sex as... Uh, no, no, no. Some people think of anal sex as a thing that gets done to submissive types, mm -hmm. to feminine types, mm -hmm. to gay types, mm -hmm. right? And so some people assign a lot of power to a person who engages in any sort of anal sex, right? Yeah. So that's one aspect of the issue. And another aspect is some people assign power to the person who does the fucking, right? So to the point where some people don't even... They wouldn't consider themselves gay if they fucked someone who happens to be the same gender as them. Mm -hmm. They would only be gay if they got fucked. Yeah, you I've know, actually that had that thinking. conversation with a guy before, and mm. he was just like, "I'm not gay. I I fucked him." Mm. <laughs> mm. Mm. You know, like what's <laughs> your book, so sir? It's, it's, it's <laughs> so it's about wrangling with that idea first. Like, how do I view sex, and do I feel? If I'm going to engage in anal sex, am I going to lose power? Is it going to bring up questions of my sexuality? And the answer is, there is no power to lose if you're having power-free sex. But also, anal sex isn't something restricted to, quote-unquote, gay sex. Mm. Everybody has an ass, which means, theoretically, if you enjoy sex, you can enjoy anal sex as well. You can enjoy being the one being stimulated in your inner region. You can enjoy being the one stimulating someone else's inner region. And there is no criteria for the kind of person who enjoys anal sex. Do you like it? Yes or no? Then have it. Yes or no? Yeah, you know, that period. kind of mindset. Done. Period. I think that's, that's <laughs> the end of it all. Yeah. And so for, if you're listening to this and you're straight and you're a guy, you identify as a man who's straight and cisgendered, your prostate is one of the most amazing sexual organs within your body. And if you, are, if you value pleasure and you want to explore all aspects of your pleasure, I certainly encourage you to explore anal sex 
as a receiving partner of uh, anal stimulation, right? And that can take so many different forms. It doesn't have to go in the one particular direction, right? You can enjoy fingering. You can enjoy rimming, which is like licking around the anal area. You can enjoy indirect stimulation using a toy from the outside vibrating. You can enjoy internal stimulation. You can enjoy so many different things. And some people will enjoy something like pegging, where your partner, regardless of their gender, can wear a dildo and then penetrate you with that dildo. You know? And if you think you'd like to enjoy penetrating someone, go for it as well. Mm. well why not? Mm-hmm. Right? As long as you're adequately prepared for it. And we can talk a little bit about how to prepare for that as well, if you'd like. Uh, yes, please. <laughs> I feel, but you know what you know what i think i think we should have um i think mm. we can do a podcast episode on anal play and just mm, like sure. all of the all of the different ways in which we can enjoy anal play regardless of gender really and mm. all of the different ways that we can prepare mm. for it and then all of the different ways in which we yeah. can then like the from the before the during and the after just i think we can have a whole um podcast episode on that if you if this is something you guys think would be dope please let me know and tapiwa and i will Mm. be here for it i'll just i'll be listening i'll be with all of my toys (laughs) ready to listen (laughs) to the lord and savior (laughs) of our anal 2020 (laughs) 2028 this is i know you're a generalist already <laughs> i want you to mm. tell me um specifically what kind of sex do you enjoy having the best kind of sex is always the one way the other people involved are active and absolutely keen participants that's my best kind of sex when you can tell this person is here for the sex and they're Amen. not thinking about homework or like stress about finances and blah 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 this person is here for the sex and for the sex with me Mm -hmm. that's the best kind of sex facts yeah and then the nature of it obviously (laughs) and the nature of it will change depending on the person themselves and what i'm enjoying sharing with them you know like uh so for argument's sake, I'm not particularly a sadist, but if I'm having sex with someone who's really like a masochist, then I become a bit more of a sadist because I'm like, oh yeah, this is their button. Let's go for it. So I'm, mm-hmm. then I'll really enjoy that. But normally if you ask me to do something say uh, sadistic, I'm not usually at a hundred. I'm normally like maybe like 70% sadist, you know, kind of vibes. And mm. if that person is more into like What's your delicate 100? play and like nurturing, like cuddles, that kind of vibe, that's also my vibe. Let's go for it. Yeah. And that's, that's the nice thing about not having a type of sex I prefer or a type of whatever partner. About I prefer being a generalist. Oh, well. well, actually, sorry. <laughs> well, yeah. So one, one of my, my sort of my issues with my own self, right? I really. I'm not happy with the fact that I'm actually straight. It's it's one of those things where I wish I wasn't because I feel like I'm missing out mm-hmm. on a bunch of other kinds of sex. Mm-hmm. And because I'm such a generalist, if it's such a it's such a problem that I can't 
I'm not that person. I'm not interested in that kind of sex. But I'm like, oh, I wish I could have that kind of sex. God damn it. Why am I missing out on this fun? That's how much of a generous I am. Even like the sex, I wish it was, I wish I was a pansexual. But I just mm-hmm. am not. Okay. Do you have any strong no's mm-hmm. with regards to sex? Things that you will absolutely not In a strong what? No's. N-O. Things you absolutely won't oh, do. Oh, ah. Uh, I think usually I don't say no. I say I'm not familiar with this. Let me do some research. I do my research and I figure it out. And so far, I haven't, no one has ever proposed anything to me that I was like, fuck no. <laughs> not doing that. It's never happened. I think about it, I do some research. And I see the point of it. I'm like, oh, yeah, that sounds fucking fantastic. Mm. If it's really like a difficult one. But usually I'm like, yeah, let's go for it. Let's go for it. Then I still do the research so I can do it right. Mm-hmm. But I've never seen something I was like, oh, that's too extreme for me. Or that's too disgusting for me. Or that's too wild for me. It's just keeping your mind open to the possibility that you're wrong and you could really enjoy this thing. And I, I find that true for most of my life. If if I ever find myself having a new jerk reaction, which is no, mm-hmm. I always come back and think about it. Like, why did I react that way? Why do I feel this is not a right thing to do with no context whatsoever? Mm-hmm. You know, just like, I know this is wrong. How can you be so sure about anything? You know? So then I go back and I'm like, okay, let's let's look at it empirically. What is there to lose? What is there to gain? Is there anything to lose? Is there anything to gain? And often I'm not as like, nah, this is just more fun to be had. So let's go for it. And mm-hmm. if you have the kind of mindset, you find people are more readily open and available to offer up their deepest, darkest desires, their, the most secretive thoughts, because your zest for it is contagious. I'm like, yeah, you want to do that? Fuck yeah, let's do that. <laughs> Why would you tell me about the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, mm-hmm. you know? Versus someone always saying no to what you're trying to explore, right? Which is everyone's right to say no to something. But the reality mm-hmm. is if you create a pattern and a behavioral pattern of saying no to a partner's thoughts without engaging them, even in a hypothetical context, you're going to... Hit a lot of bumpy roads, yeah. Ah, which ties back mm-hmm. quite nice with the anal sex question. So, yeah. The point I meant to make earlier was, so if you want to bring up sex to your partner and your partner happens to a straight dude, I think have the conversation about power first and then eliminate power from your sexual dynamic in its entirety. Mm-hmm. Except for times where you do want to actively invoke power. If you want to become a dom sub kind of relationship then you can say okay let's invoke some power into the dynamic which we neutralize after the play session Mm -hmm. and then once your partner doesn't look at sex as a loss of power or gain of power then having that conversation about inner sex becomes quite easy as far as i'm concerned the next challenge then be people's sort of sort of repulsion against sort of the the biology of having to go through inner sex and then you have a conversation about that as well. Listen, let's talk about it. At the core, what are you afraid of? 
oh, I'm afraid an accident will happen. Okay, then we prepare for it. How do we do that? We get an enema, we get a douche, we blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of different ways you can prepare yourself mm -hmm. for a quote-unquote messy situation, mm -hmm. right? It doesn't happen. It doesn't even happen. It doesn't even have to happen. But if, if, and if it does happen, what's the worst thing that could happen? Mm -hmm. I've had someone um, vomit on my dick before, right? And the next immediate thing we did was we jumped into the shower, we showered together, mm -hmm. and we went back to having sex. Mm -hmm. So even in that moment, something disgusting may have happened. How you recover from that situation is so critical. Mm -hmm. Because if you create an environment of shame and disgust, that memory will latch on. And every time they think about giving your head, every time they think about having inner sex, the first thought mm -hmm. is how you treated them, how the situation made them feel, and how they're not interested at all. Mm, that's so important. And then all of that transfers to other partners, and now this person has baggage. It's a domino so, yeah. effect. Yeah. Always be open to engage about things. Yeah. Ooh, I like that. Mm. I mean, I'm. I have. I have some strong nose. I have some strong nose. I won't um, mm. willingly mm. Um, engage in any like vomit or shit. Mm mistakes happen and that's fine mm. i can get involved in mistakes we're human mm. but like willingly as part of play that's something that i would never do yeah i've never done that either but <laughs> i'm just saying for example this is what I, a strong I can look at like is. yeah it's not for me <laughs> yeah. say again yeah for example this is what a, a strong no uh, mm. looks like i guess mm. just like yeah no that's not something that i would ah, do or so put for myself me, so in a situation it's, for me, it's not a strong no. It's more of like, I haven't had reason to try it. No one has wanted to try it. And I certainly haven't felt like I want to try it. So mm -hmm. it doesn't really... It's not a yes, it's not a no. It's just like, eh. But if someone was open to it, I would be open to the idea of engaging with it. I don't know if I'll do it, mm -hmm. but maybe that would be my like first set of hard no's. <laughs> okay, okay. Okay. Mm. I think we're going to mm. cut off here. But have you had a good time? I had a fantastic, fantastic time. I wish you could keep going. I yeah. know. You should do like five hour podcasts. Can I like really exhaust the topics? And the people <laughs> as well. <laughs> no, hey, people are stuck in Kenyan traffic, please. They can listen. There's no traffic. We're on <laughs> lockdown. Everybody is on lockdown. Everybody is. Oh, listening. this is true. <laughs> there's no, there's no traffic in, in the world. The whole world has no traffic. Mm, true. So people are just going to be sitting at well, home. Well, people are stuck in their homes so they can listen. I guess. <laughs> I guess. Um, so I guess everybody just, you know, mm. let us know if you want us to come back um, to talk about other things. I think it would be great. I mean, I would love, 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 love to have you back on the podcast. I think this was very informative in so many different ways and fun. And your voice is so beautiful. So I've just been sitting here listening. <sighs> Thank you. Thank you, Tepiwa. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. I really enjoyed myself. Absolutely. And we look forward to having you back. But mm. until then, we're just going to say bye. Oh, bye. <laughs> Don't forget to like and share this podcast with your quarantine and follow us on at the spread pod across all social media platforms. Leave us a beautiful review on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, and on whatever platform it is you listen to The Spread. 
Until next time, goodbye. Fight